Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, Visit BetterHelp.com slash stuff today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan out there. Jerry's here. Special guest Jerry. <laughs> this is Stuff You Should Know. The super subversive edition. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a it's subversive, but not f- coming from who you'd expect. In this case, the subversive people, Chuck, are two of the crookedest, worst Americans to ever take a breath of life in the United States. Yes. Uh, Hoover and Nixon, right? Yes. Herbert Hoover and Charles J. Nixon. Mm, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not those two. Was it uh, J. Edgar Hoover and Richard Nixon? Richard Milhouse, I think. That's is right. His name. Milhouse. <laughs> That's right. So you picked this one, right? Um, yeah. I think we got uh, help from our buddy. Was it? Um, oh, it was a Grabster article, right? This is a Grabster. So um, why did you choose this one, Chuck? I'm just a Beatles nut. I'm reading a massive Beatles book and just I'm always thinking about the Beatles so this isn't something <laughs> yeah. I knew a ton about yeah. so now I now I know more what are you thinking about the Beatles right now they could write a song like they could like they're really good at writing songs you mean I think so I know okay. you're not a Beatles guy but they're regarded as good songwriters sure I, I'm willing to concede that at least yeah, I'm a grown person. I'm. Uh, uh, I can concede when I'm wrong or when I've been bested. <laughs> I think we differ on Yoko Ono, though. So that'll be, you know, that's where the tables are turned. Okay. Because so, you like her singing, isn't that right? I appreciate it. I don't oh, know. Okay. Like is a pretty strong <laughs> word, but I definitely appreciate it. There's some songs like, have you ever heard "I Love You, Earth"? Uh, sure. That's a pretty sweet song. I, I like her singing on that. But All right. have you ever heard her um, <laughs> her cover of um, Katy Perry's Fireworks? No, I bet that's oh, something. I, she did it at um, maybe MoMA or the Met or something like that. And she's just standing there wailing. She's not singing words or anything like that, just wailing. And it was her cover of of Katy Perry's Firework, and it's it's pretty great to see. I'm sure if you look it up on YouTube. But I, I appreciate a lot of her stuff. How about that? I appreciate her as a human, and it's yeah, always fun to human. look back at uh, at performances, live performances uh, with Lennon when 
she would do a full like four or five songs in a row in the middle of like Madison Square Garden concert. <laughs> and you could kind of see his his backing band just kind of like, oh boy, I can't believe we're doing <laughs> right. this. I can't believe can... she's really doing this. Right, right. Um, and she's actually pretty strongly implicated in this whole thing. We're talking about John Lennon um, being pursued and, and surveilled and basically harassed by the FBI um, in the in 1972, actually, 1971-72, I believe, um, for a very specific reason. And it was at a time when John Lennon and Yoko Ono had just gotten married. They got married like two, two three years before and um, were a very famous couple. The Grabster argues that they may have been like the first genuine celebrity activist couple who actually used their celebrity as a way to um, help, help influence or help causes, that kind of thing. Um, and by the time 1971-72 rolled around, Richard Milhouse Nixon was actually running for re-election again. And he decided that he didn't like people like John Lennon running around conceivably swaying the vote, particularly among newly minted voters in the 18 to 21-year-old block. Yeah, I mean, he and Yoko had uh, been contributors to causes, uh, working-class causes. It's sort of the notion that uh, Lennon was always known as the working-class hero, but uh, of all the Beatles, he grew up more solidly middle-class than any of the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And not to say that that was a false persona, but he definitely sort of um, sort of jumped and sort of leaned into that, as uh, Noel Brown would say, uh-huh. uh, as far as, as his persona. And I think a lot of people that don't dig deep kind of think that John Lennon grew up in, with a very hard scrap of life there in Liverpool, which is not the case. But um, as a result of that, he championed the working man. He and Yoko contributed to causes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became, along with Yoko, uh, very much uh, pacifist activists. And if you're a pacifist activist in the early 70s, you're not going to be a big fan of Richard Nixon, and he's not going to be a big fan of you because he was uh, he was not shy about war. No, he really wasn't. He'd even co- campaigned, um, I think, in 68 on ending the Vietnam War and then actually went the exact opposite direction with that. Um, there was a lot. If you were a pacifist, there was a lot to be upset about in the 60s and early 70s because of Vietnam alone, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the ways I think that got the most press that when people think about John and Yoko's activism is the bed-ins that they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is B-E-D-I-N-S. And that is, if you don't know what those are, that's when you lay around in bed and you invite the press to come to your room and talk to you while you lay around in bed <laughs> and right. why, you're, why you're laying around in bed. And it looked kind of ridiculous to a lot of people, uh, especially people on the right. But um, John Lennon's whole kind of point, and he was very tongue-in-cheek, kind of had a great sense of humor. But mm-hmm. I think it all sort of stemmed from that, which is like, hey, all you got to do is stay in bed and not go and start wars. And this is a pretty ridiculous way to drive that point home. Yeah, yeah. Like, rather than having to, like, go out and oppose violence, you could oppose violence just by laying around in bed and doing nothing, letting your <laughs> hair grow, I think is what they were saying. Sure. Which is pretty awesome. And and the thing is, is it's John Lennon and, you know, Yoko Ono, and they're sitting around in bed with the press in their hotel room, and, like, that in and of itself is getting press. And then if you say, well, what is all this about? And you read a little further into the article, I don't know, maybe it kind of gets you in just the right way, and all of a sudden you start thinking that way too. And to the people who were, 
you know, running the whole uh, military-industrial complex, that, that, I mean, that's a threat. Um, even if it's just a threat of, of the threat of saying, like, just don't, you don't even have to oppose war. Just don't do anything. And, and that opposes war in and of itself. And that was, like, kind of the way things were at the time. Like, there was a lot of, a lot of people in power who were really opposed to that kind of thinking, who were opposed to people who were opposed to Vietnam or war in general or violence of any kind. Um, there was a big opposition to that. And the people who were running the show in the United States were chief among those people. Like we said, Nixon as president and then running for re-election. Then J. Edgar Hoover, who was not shy at all about doing whatever he needed to to quiet dissent. Like he would generate dossiers on elected officials, uh, especially ones who were more uh, liberal, to to basically keep them in line by threatening them with blackmail or even the threat of blackmail, you know? Um, there were plenty of hippies who got their heads cracked in. There were people who were surveilled. Um, we did an episode on the Black Panthers, if you remember. We talked about um, COINTELPRO, the whole program to basically undermine and smear the Black Panthers in the public's mind. Like, the, J. Edgar Hoover was a, a, a vicious, terrible human being. Um, and he ran the FBI for decades and was still running the FBI when they started to target John Lennon. Yeah, so to set the stage here uh, of kind of how this all worked out was um, John Lennon had, uh, he was able to enter, the whole thing kind of boils down to whether or not he would be allowed to live in the U.S. or whether or not uh, if he was eventually allowed to live in the U.S., if they could legally deport him. So he was able to enter the U.S. on a work visa in 71. And concurrent with this, uh, Yoko Ono had a custody battle going on. Mm -hmm. uh, she had a daughter from a previous marriage in the early 70s, and she wasn't going to leave at all. Uh, she was legally there. They did try and deport her. They didn't know that she had a green card already, which was sort of the first foible in this thing. Right. But they um, they knew that they had a lot of leverage over Lennon because if they deported him, he would be without his wife, who was going to stay there. So they had this leverage. Uh, Lennon loved living in New York City. That's where he wanted to make his permanent home. That was so uh, much so that that was also leverage that they had, too. Yeah, absolutely. And so Nixon's up for re-election in 72. Um, he would go on to win, you know, in a big, big way against McGovern. But they were, you know, they were a, a, an or I was about to call them an organization. They were an administration that mm -hmm. was very paranoid. Mm -hmm. um, they would obviously, with Watergate, they showed that they were willing to do anything to ensure their victory. Yeah. Uh, and that included being really worried about people like John Lennon. Uh, I don't think he was at the top of their list of things to worry about, but he was on their list uh, thanks to Strom Thurmond of all people. Yeah, so Strom Thurmond, the horrible segregationist senator um, from what, South Carolina, right? Uh, he he actually kicked this whole thing off because I guess I, 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 he noticed that John Lennon was, was you know, he was a left-leaning rock star activist. He's, I, he seems to have been one of the first people to notice the activism that was developing among John Lennon and Yoko Ono and to perceive it as a threat to the establishment because all those um, recently enfranchised 18, 19, and 20-year-old voters who hadn't had the right to vote until the 26th Amendment had been passed 
Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was passed, but it was between 68 and 72 because 72 is the first election those younger kids were going to be able to vote in. And he apparently saw Lenin as among a, a group of people who could speak to those kids and sway them to the left and potentially unseat Richard Nixon, which it would turn out is just a total laugh because Nixon beat McGovern in a landslide. But at the time, they didn't know this, and Richard Nixon wasn't going to take any chances. So his his the note from Strom Thurmond was very well received in the Nixon administration. Yeah, I think uh, what I want to know is who told Strom Thurmond. <laughs> that's what I want to know, too. Because that's I doubt. the biggest mystery here. <laughs> yeah, I doubt if Strom Thurmond was too hip to any of this. But somebody probably got in his ear, and he said uh, he sent a note that specifically said they try and get him deported as a, quote, a strategic countermeasure. Right. Uh, and that's really kind of what got the ball rolling. Uh, we should also mention this other guy, John. I don't know if it's Wiener or Weiner in this case. It's pronounced Wiener Slave. Oh, it is? <laughs> no. Do you he's, remember there was a 30 Rock episode where there's like a HR mediator, and he's like this very soft, rosy-cheeked, very calm, mild-mannered man. And um, Liz Lemon says, well, Mr. Weinerslav. And he goes, uh, uh, no, it's pronounced Wiener Slave." <laughs> I miss that show. It's like, it, That was a, a really good moment. They had such uh, great fun with dumb jokes like that and Bob, <laughs> yeah. Bob Blah Blah. <laughs> yeah, right. No, that was Arrested Development. Oh, that's right. That was Arrested yeah. Development. They kind of had the same DNA, though. Yeah, for sure. So, Wiener Slave uh, <laughs> was a writer and or is a writer and historian still, and he is why we know so much of this. He yeah. um, was writing a lot about John Lennon, writing a lot about the Beatles. Um, he decided to file a Freedom of Information Act request to get a lot of these documents uncovered over the years and eventually was successful um, in a big dump in 1997 mm -hmm. and then in another smaller one in 2006. Mm -hmm. And if it had not been for his tenacity, um, I don't know if uh, anyone else would have picked up this mantle to, because, you know, in the end, it's not the most interesting story in the world. <laughs> it's true. I say that in a whisper. It, it's not like some huge, like, oh my God, revelations. It's sort of one of those things that's like, just another example of the small things that authoritarians do in this country under, you know, in, in the back rooms and in the whispered rooms of the White House. Well, you know, I think like that's really true. And that's a really good point is that like if you just look at it on its face, like, you know, the FBI followed around John Lennon, kept tabs on him. And like if you read the files, it's really pedestrian, boring stuff. Um, you might miss, like, the, the real story here. And the real story here is that a sitting president directed the FBI to get dirt uh, that he could use against a, a political rival, an activist rock star, to help get him deported or to figure out what leverage he could use against him so that that, that sitting president could get reelected. That's the real story here. And that the FBI acted as, as you know, this— um, basically a Gestapo-type agency on behalf of Nixon. That's the, the real story that I think kind of gets covered up by John Lennon and Yoko Ono's celebrity and, the you know, the FBI kind of wackily following him around. Yeah, it, it is funny because if you look at some of the files and some of the reports, like they would go to his concerts and undercover agents would go to the concerts and mm -hmm. report things like, you know, he— for his encore, he's saying, give peace a chance. And we all know about that song. <laughs> right. And they, they would take notes on song lyrics and stuff like that. So it's all just kind of silly. But um, yeah, I definitely agree that it's it's just an example of the links that Nixon would go to to yeah. be a 
dirty thief. Yes. Well, Chuck, I think we should demonstrate the links that we'll go to to bring everyone a message break. What do you think? By just shutting up for two minutes? Yep. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Okay, so the whole thing um, started... Eventually, it wasn't clear what was going to happen, but the real thing that kicked all of John Lennon's big problems off was that he was arrested in 1968 in London for possession of narcotics. Um, I'm making air quotes you can't see because he was busted with some pot, I think maybe some hash um, and like rolling paraphernalia. Just some really BS beef um, that they got him on in, in London. There was some true believer, zealous, anti-drug cop named Detective Sergeant Norman Pilcher, <laughs> um, who was later uh, jailed, actually, for committing perjury uh, as a police officer. Um, but he uh, he was alleged to have planted the evidence that may or may not be true. But it was like a, a, a rap that Lennon shouldn't have had on him or Yoko shouldn't have had on her. Um, that they, they just wanted a high-profile bust. And that happened in 1968, and it turned out that that would follow Lenin for years to come and really kind of be the fulcrum that the U.S. government had on him to try to, to keep him from staying in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even doing heroin at this point, I don't think. 
No. Uh, so they should have waited if they wanted a real case. Well, it makes you wonder. Like, I, I, I remember hearing in our, I think, our Black Panther episode that the FBI was not above, like, addicting uh, activists and dissidents uh, with heroin, like turning them on to heroin and then getting them addicted and then just, you know, taking them out of the game like that. Yeah, I think Lennon never shot heroin. That was his jam. Okay. So early 71, uh, like I said, he was able to enter on a tourist visa. And then when Nixon uh, and his cronies get going on the deportation, the whole thing was based on the fact that he had overstayed his visa. Mm -hmm. Um, But along with that, it was very valuable to them that he had a a drug conviction under his belt at that point. Yeah. So they were surveilling him. They were surveilling other artists around the country, too, uh, who they thought were subversive and sending messages. Um, Lennon, speaking of getting busted for pot, Lennon uh, very famously wrote a song called John Sinclair uh, mm-hmm. in support and did a tribute, or not tribute, but a, a, a concert. And um, I don't know if they were raising money yeah, or just awareness. Both. Okay, for John Sinclair, who was a poet, he was the manager of the the MC5, great, great rock band. Um, And he offered two undercover cops uh, a couple of joints and went to, he had already had a couple of minor pot offenses, but he went to prison for 10 years for this. And uh, a big refrain in that song, John Sinclair, which is a cool song and very um, rootsy and bluesy, not like very Lennon at all. Uh, is 10 for two, 10 for two, mm-hmm. is what they keep saying. 10 years for two joints. Yeah, that he sold to an undercover cop, right? Yeah, but it worked. He actually was sprung from prison shortly after this concert. Yeah, like two days after. And some people say, eh, I think that indicates he was already going to be sprung, that the Michigan Supreme Court knew this was a uh, this is a trumped-up charge. But other people say, no, the, the concert surely had some impact. But Sinclair is... Um, so the the point about Sinclair and John Lennon is John Lennon performed the song. He was the headliner at this concert in Ann Arbor. And he had been coordinating with other people in John Sinclair's orbit um, that were prominent figures in the new left. And at this time in the early 70s, the 60s had ended. Um, they, they, it had become clear that flower power hadn't worked. The evil people were still in charge. So what was next? Uh, maybe nonviolent coordination and um, and resistance wasn't the way to go. Now, Lenin and Yoko were dedicated pacifists. They didn't want anything to do with violence. They didn't condone violence. They didn't like violence in any way, shape, or form. But there were elements in the new left um, who weren't necessarily convinced that that wasn't the only way to to change the course of, of the United States and get rid of people like Nixon and, and his cronies. Um, and so if you're watching this from the outside, like you're J. Edgar Hoover and Richard Nixon, you're watching the people on the new left and you don't know which way they're going to break, violent, nonviolent, who knows, but you're treating all of them with suspicion. And all of a sudden, John Lennon, one of the most recognizable and popular people on the planet, is suddenly hanging out with some of these new left cats that you don't know which way they're going to go, violent or nonviolent. And that really drew the attention of the FBI to John Lennon. It wasn't necessarily he and Yoko and their pacifist stuff. It was, uh, Some people think that it was his involvement with genuine bona fide new left activists like uh, John Sinclair or like, um, like Bobby Seale, um, 
uh, like John Sinclair founded the White Panther Party, which they had a 10-point platform like the Black Panthers platform. And the first platform in the White Panther platform is that it's fully in support of the Black Panthers 10-point platform. So he's hanging out with a bunch of people that um, had proven themselves as as, as dyed-in-the-wool foes of the Nixon administration. That definitely caught the FBI's attention. Yeah, and they had big plans. Uh, they got together, and uh, I think their first meeting was at the Alamuki Township. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. <laughs> the Scaramucci Township. <laughs> In New Jersey, and initially called themselves the Alamuki Tribe, but uh, wisely changed their name to the Election Year Strategy Information Center. Right. And their plan was in 1972 is to host – and Lennon gave them money. He gave them like 75 grand to kind of get going mm-hmm. and said, here, let's do a bunch of concerts with the help of John Lennon all across uh, all across the country in 1972. We can have different artists performing, different speakers, um, you know, like pounding home the anti-war message. And then as these concerts roll closer and closer to the election, it will culminate in a big protest at the RNC in Miami – um, this is all very legal stuff. It wasn't uh, they weren't staging riots or anything. These were just concerts, awareness, um, trying to keep Nixon from winning. And Nixon got worried, and he knew uh, that, like you said, the influence that someone like John Lennon could have was like he didn't have anyone on his side. There was no Scott Bayo at the time wooing the youngsters. Bob blah blah to the right. <laughs> oh, he was Bob blah blah, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. That's funny. Um, so this is all going on, and this is kind of what ramps up the pressure to get Lennon out of there. Uh, this custody battle's going on. They know about that. And so their their first step was to instruct immigration and naturalization to try and say, hey, you've overstayed your visa. You got to get out of here. And Lennon knew this was coming. This is no secret. He had gone on TV shows talking about being uh, followed by the FBI, being uh, having his phone tapped, which we still aren't sure if that really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it says officially that there was no legal phone tapping in the FBI documents, but that <laughs> throwing that word legal in there right. just kind of makes you think like, well, were there any illegal ones that you're not going to tell us about? Yeah, I read, I, I, I read an interview. So this is like the, the depths of my depravity. I didn't even listen to the interview. I read a Fresh Air interview with John Weiner or Weiner um, a, about this. And he said that in the, the FBI responded and said they, they found no evidence of illegal wiretapping by the FBI or no legal wiretapping by the FBI. So, so Weiner's like, okay, does that mean they were doing illegal wiretapping or does it mean that they didn't look very hard for evidence? It, it doesn't mean that they weren't tapping his phone is what he's saying. Right. Uh, it at least made Lennon paranoid enough. Yeah. Like he wasn't just not, he wasn't not sweating this. He was, this made him very paranoid um, and with good reason, but he took to going next door at the, uh, Dakota building. So he would let Lennon use his phone in his apartment uh, to make phone calls <laughs> and I guess, you know, assist with the calls at the same time a little bit. And then the FBI said, you know what could really help is if we could bust them currently for narcotics in the United States. If we have an active charge, drug charge against them, and Hoover sent it out himself. He said, quote, for info on a bureau. Uh, NYCPD Narcotics Division is aware of the subject's recent use of narcotics. 
which is like every day, and are attempting to obtain enough info to arrest both subject and wife Yoko based on PD investigation. Yeah, and by this time, I'm thinking he was using heroin. I think that's what they were referencing as his recent use. Oh, really? I didn't think that started till later. I thought it was the early 70s. I thought it happened during his lost weekend, but I may be wrong on that. I'm not that far I, along I'm going to err toward you then, because I'm just surmising here. I'm not the one who has a big old book of Beatles history. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know. They never, they never actually busted him, right? This was all just like they were planning on doing this, but they never needed to? I don't think he was arrested uh, in the United States, was he? Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't get that impression, but but it seemed like everything was kind of barreling toward that. And even like you were saying, the FBI was like, we've let the NYPD know to to, to go do this. Um, so, and if you take a step back, like, this is some heat. This is some pressure that they're putting on John and Yoko. They're basically saying, we're going to split you guys up by deporting John because we know that Yoko is not going to leave the country because of this custody battle. She can't afford to, so she has to stay here. So if we threaten deportation to John Lennon, it might actually um, keep him in line. And the FBI used the word neutralized, that they were seeking to neutralize Lennon. Um, and I guess some people who don't dig very deeply into the story are like, they were going to assassinate John Lennon. And um, John Weiner Weiner um, has pointed out, like, that's not at all what they meant. They meant, like, basically making him ineffective, like um, taking him out of the game, basically, one way or another. Um, but not killing him, just convincing him through putting this undue, unfair, undemocratic pressure on him to drop his activities with the new left. Yeah, and they and by the way, I think I think he probably was using heroin in the late 60s and had an on again off again. But either way, he So uh, so that makes sense because I did see that guys like Jerry Rubin and um uh I think Rennie Davis, a couple of like the Chicago 7, like they didn't even like hang out with him cuz he was doing too many drugs. And I, I I'm guessing that it wasn't like he was smoking so much pot we can't even talk with them anymore. Like I think he was shooting dope and they weren't. Yeah, well, he never shot it. He always smoked it. Or smoking um, dope. But he was. and I think he and Yoko were doing heroin actually before the Beatles broke up at the end. Okay. Uh, when they were sort of estranged, not the with the Beatles, not John and Yoko. But um, at any rate, these, like I said, these investigations are going on, and they're going to his concerts, mm -hmm. and they're not even sending back information that really means much. They're even saying some of these informants like. You know what? They're they're not even really down with like the new left isn't even down with them because they think they're just uh, quote self aggrandizing rock stars, yeah. Uh, or there's little chance that they'll accomplish anything because they spend all their time doing drugs. They're kind of sending the message like you really don't need to worry so much about John Lennon. He's not much of a threat. Yeah. Uh, kind of one of the funny things about this investigation was when um, and Lennon was one of the most famous people in the world one of the most recognizable faces in the world on planet Earth, along with Yoko Ono. Mm -hmm. And the FBI passes around a sheet with Lennon's picture on it so they can recognize him. But it was the wrong photo. It was of a different human being. It wasn't even John Lennon. Yeah, it was a street busker from the West Village named David Peel. So funny. Who had a record that I guess John Lennon helped produce or something. And he looked vaguely like John Lennon, but that was the... That was the picture that the FBI passed around to the cops of the wrong guy. They also, the FBI also put out an all-points bulletin 
um, searching for John Lennon and said that he's at the St. Regis at 150 Bank Street. Um, St. Regis, Regis Landscape Supply? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess that's what they meant because the St. Regis Hotel is on Central Park. Um, and John Lennon was indeed living on Bank Street at the time, but he was at 105 Bank Street. So that all points bulletin was all kinds of wrong. But this is the level of like um, – coppery that 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 the FBI was conducting, you know, trying to get John Lennon. All right, well, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a little bit about Lennon's uh, official defense right after this. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 251292 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Squarespace. 
Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. All right, so John Lennon is not going to take this lying down. Uh, he was he was paranoid. He was going on like the Mike Douglas show and talking about the FBI coming after him. Um, the first thing he did was probably what any really, really rich person would do is he hires a top-rate bulldog attorney um, to try and defend this or at least delay this. And this guy's name was Leon Wilds, and he really did delay this. He was sort of a master at filing these motions and getting it extended and extended, and Lennon was able to stay in the country longer and longer and longer. But he was also kind of instrumental in um, kind of letting Lennon know that this was a real situation that he was involved in. Right. Um, the thing is, is if you um, are a immigration prosecutor for the federal government of the United States, you know that there is not a ton of resources allocated to your division, Right. Or yeah. traditionally, there hasn't been. And so, customarily, the Justice Department has, or, or I guess INS, has left it up to each prosecutor to determine how hard they want to prosecute the case. And so, if you are a um, upstanding person who's never posed any sort of threat to the United States and uh, maybe you own a business or you're a productive member of society— there is a chance that the INS is going to look the other way and not actually deport you, even if you are here illegally. You have overstayed your visa or you came to the country illegally. Who knows? Um, and that's actually where the DREAMer program came from, DACA. Uh, it basically said, like, the, these particular immigrants were brought here as children, and they um, pose no threat. Most of them are going to college or college-bound, or they're in the military. So we're going to not deport them. Um, and what what Lennon's um, lawyer told him was like, all of this is true, and yet they're putting the heat on you like I have never seen. This is this is clearly coming down from on high. Like they want to get you out of the United States, and it's not just this prosecutor. Yeah, and the other thing that happens uh, when it comes to a, a case like this is they have to weigh, uh, or they can be decided basically on the value that an immigrant uh, might bring to the U.S. by being an American uh, or living in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so there was, a, you know, it, it's kind of funny to look back now and think that there had to be a case made that John Lennon brings any kind of value. But they did, and <laughs> there was a series of letters written um, by Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Joyce Carol Oates, Leonard Bernstein, John Updike, just a series of very famous artists. Mm -hmm kind of arguing in favor of John Lennon being allowed to live here. It was sort of a flood of uh, public outcry, like what, you know, what little was known back then, at least. Like, you can't let, just, there, there's tremendous value to letting John Lennon stay in this country. Right, and don't forget, John Cage wrote a letter, too, 
And I'm sure it was kind of like, well, you know, do you want me to write a letter for you, John? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure that would help a lot, John Cage, <laughs> because I'm sure no one in the Nixon administration's ever heard of you. Yeah, probably so. So um, the the one kind of the, the upshot, I'm just going full on using this word now. The upshot of, of that letter writing campaign was not even just so much to demonstrate the value of, of John Lennon remaining in the United States. It was if you kick him out, like there's going to be a public outcry and you're going to be held to account and asked to explain why you guys kicked him out. Um, so it did have a bit of that combined with um, – his his attorney's tenacity, it kept John Lennon in the country. He was actually never deported, even though they were, he had a, he lived for, I think, two or three years with a, you have 60 days to leave the country order. And his, his lawyer kept getting it extended and extended and extended. But for three years, that was the threat that he was living under. And again, if he was deported, he would leave without his wife, who had to stay in the country for her own custody battle. Um, so that was that was a, a lot of strain on him actually. And um the 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 worst part about this whole thing is not that the FBI did this and that the Nixon administration singled him out or that it all came down to Strom Thurmond writing this memo to kick things off. It was that it worked. Like they sought to neutralize John Lennon and his political activism, and he stopped. He actually did. He gave in. Uh, in August of 1972, by announcing that he was not going to take part in that series of concerts that was going to culminate at the Republican National Convention uh, or uh, engage in any kind of activist activities any longer. He was just going to go back to being a a musician again. Yeah, and by this point, uh, Hoover was dead. Uh, L. Patrick Gray was the acting director of the FBI. And in that same month, that August, uh, before the election in November, Um, The FBI's New York office reported to Gray that he's no longer going to be involved with these concerts. He's no longer with the new left. Um, We don't really need to worry about him anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to basically settle this case and close this case after Nixon wins the election. And like we said earlier, a couple of times by a landslide. So this is all sort of for naught anyway. Um, Gerald Ford ended up overturning Lennon's deportation order Mm -hmm. in 1975 that was already filed. And in 76, he got his green card and lived in New York very famously in the Dakota for the last four years of his life uh, before he was murdered in the street, uh, which I think we should do an episode on that at some point, maybe in a couple of years once this one is well in the rearview mirror. You bet. That'd be a good one. Um, so if, if John Lennon, apparently before he died, he gave a couple interviews and he said, of this time, like that it nearly ruined him as an artist, you know, like you said, he wasn't, he wasn't just not sweating it. Like he sweated it every day. It was a big hairy problem in his life all the time and a source of great stress. Um, so in addition to the stress, it, it, it stole his focus. Like it made him think about that and like how much he hated the Nixon administration and how terrible the FBI was for how they were harassing him and possibly tapping his phone. And it just took his mind from his art. And he later said that it almost ruined him as an artist because the the work he was producing at the time was journalism, not poetry, as he put it. Yeah. Um, which is a very sad effect, but it's, it's a really real-world effect when you've got something just looming uh, in the front of your mind that you can't get out of your mind, especially if it's dealing with badness. It's, that has a, a terrible 
effect on you and, and your life in general. It can produce an entire bad period of your life, you know? Yeah. Uh, he was like, I had to let Yoko sing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I have something I have to say. I don't want to forget it. In one of the FBI notes at that John Sinclair concert, mm-hmm. the FBI informant reported that the song John Sinclair was not up to Lennon's usual standards. <laughs> and you get this, Yoko can't even remain on key. <laughs> Well, that was but, an FBI informant. Yeah, he had a good ear. But, and, you know, it, it, I like the song. It doesn't, like, belong up there with his greatest songs. Yeah. But it was very it was very clear. It was sort of in the tradition of protest songs. It's got this acoustic uh, slide dobro guitar. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of it fits in with the great folk songs of all time, I think. But sure. not necessarily one of the great Lennon or Beatles songs. Is it as good as John Henry was a steel driving man? I think it's better. I like it better. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, like we mentioned earlier, the reason we know all this was because of Wiener's reporting. And uh, he eventually got those documents released. And there was, you know, in his circle, there was a big hubbub, like, what's going to be in there? Um, what what secrets are, will be revealed? And really not much. What was revealed was um, embarrassment for the FBI, embarrassment that they released a picture that wasn't even John Lennon, uh, embarrassment that they had a very unethical um, and perhaps even illegal mm-hmm. um, motivation behind trying to get uh, uh, this person deported. And it was just egg on the face. And that's why they tried to keep it under wraps for so many years, hoping that it would not get out. Not because there were some uh, big revealing documents, but they were just like, can we just sort of act like this didn't happen? Yeah, so we'll we'll classify everything as a national security risk. And they did. And actually that that last trove of documents, the little handful that trickled out at, in 2006 was a MI5, a kind of a British Secret Service um file on Lennon that the US said if they it was it, it that that last bit of document contained a file from a foreign government that had trusted the U.S. to keep it and that it could result in e- economic, diplomatic, and military action if they were to release it. Like the U.K. was just going to bomb the U.S. for releasing their document or their file on John Lennon. That's why the FBI held on to it until 2006, and yeah. then they lost a court case. So, like, if there's a hero of this story, it's John Weiner or John Weiner, I don't know how he says his name, and I'm sorry either way, because he was the one that really stood up, not just for John Lennon, but for the First Amendment, you know, and and people's ability to be politically active without, you know, the threat of being intimidated. Um, So good for him. Totally. Uh, You got anything else about this? Got nothing else. Uh, I have an article to direct everybody to. is on Pop Matters. John Lennon, colon, Revolutionary Man as Political Artist. And it's about all this sorry history, but also just um, a pretty good critical evaluation of him as an activist. And and it's just a a really good, interesting article. So check it out. And since I said check it out, everybody, it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, This is in reference of our haunted real estate. Uh, I guess that was a short stuff, right? Had to be. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, please tell me we didn't do 45 minutes on that. We could have. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, been a listener for years and finally have a good reason to write you. I was listening to the episode on whether you're supposed to disclose whether a house is haunted or not, and it hit close to home. Two years ago, we bought our first house, and I made a point to run a report to see if anyone died in the house. 
The previous owner had just died within a year, but it didn't say where. I wasn't really worried about someone actually dying in the house. I was really just trying to get a big discount. <laughs> However, the agent said he didn't know, so no big discount. Uh, cut to two years later, I found out from neighbors and research that the previous owner did not die. However, he was a creep who actually had multiple abuse charges. In fact, I found an article stating that he had a woman tied up in our basement man, who he tortured until she was luckily able to escape man. Uh, for weeks. Uh, that's like almost worse than just a regular that's person just somebody dying. dying of natural causes? It's a million times worse. Well, no, I was about to say worse than a murder. I guess they're on par. Yeah, well, let's debate that at length. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to rank awful crimes, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I think that might creep me out just as much. Let's just say that. Sure. Uh, the police searched the house and found oodles of weapons. The charges were eventually dropped. Apparently, he had money, and he redid the entire basement, which is beyond creepy. I don't know if this qualifies as info that should have been provided to us at purchase, but it sure so. seems like it, huh? Yeah. Uh, that is from Andy, uh, A-N-D-I. Oh, okay. Well, thanks a lot, Andy. Uh, is is there a heart over the eye? Uh, no, but it's typed. Is it, um, it could be uh, Andy McDowell. I think she spells her name like that. Oh. I could hmm. see something like this happening to Andy McDowell, can't sure. you? Sure. I love Andy McDowell. Well, whether it's from Andy McDowell or not, we appreciate the email. Um, thank you. And yes, I, I agree. I think the realtor should have disclosed that if you ask me. Totally. Uh, if you want to let us know about some way a realtor wronged you or anybody did, we want to hear about it. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.